This is a warning to all living mortals that on the 13th of December, Moose will release 13 of the most terrifying interviews of horror unto the world. Happy Thanksgiving, Horror Hounds. It's your holiday horror host here, Moose. And sorry to say, there's no new episode this month. So take this time and head over to electronicmediacollective.com and catch up on all of our old episodes of Moose's Monster Mash. But come back on December 13th for the start of Moose's 13 horrifying days of Christmas. That's right, 13 brand new episodes in the month of December leading up to our season two premiere. And until then, Horror Hounds, mash on. Greetings, this is Randy Rogel, and you are listening to Bullspit with Moose. Hey, Paul, look over there at the size of that moose. Son, that's no moose. That there is a pile of bullspit. Welcome, Moose Pack, to an all-new episode of Bullspit with Moose. I'm your host, Moose. Joining me today is a gentleman who has taken a very interesting route to where he is today. From West Point to Southern California, one half of the traveling sensation that is Animaniacs in concert. Please welcome Mr. Randy Rogel. Thank you, Paul. It's a pleasure to be here with you. All the way from Southern California, Los Angeles. Hello, Randy. Sorry, I couldn't resist. I can't do it like Rob Paulson, but I can. Hello, Paul. I usually let Rob take over for me here with these thousands of voices that he can do. So on that note, Animaniacs uh, in concert online was really cool. For a lot of us that haven't been able to make it to a live show Mm -hmm. and then, you know, pandemic, you know, we finally got a chance to sit down and watch this like knockout sensation that we keep hearing about <laughs> and it's just like, all right, you know, you know, cool. We finally get to see at least, you know, the bare bones of what this is right. all about. Well, when we get that, you know, we, we had to cancel the concerts for this summer because of the COVID because uh, people obviously can't go to sporting events. You can't go to theaters, restaurants, are even limited, but uh, we've been booked again now in February in Phoenix in a beautiful theater. So let's hope that that, that happens. But in the meantime, our agents with ICM said, Hey, you know, they have this platform looped and people can talk about that. So we were happy to do it on that. I'm so glad that you got to see the show. It's even more fun in person. So when we get near you, are you did you say you're in Omaha? Okay, and we get, do you know what's funny? We were, no, it was Topeka we were supposed to be in this weekend, not Omaha. But when we get there, I'll make sure you get tickets. I'll say that was definitely one I was like, because I knew you were going to be down in Kansas. It's like, you know, that's just a few hours. Yeah. I can make that one. <laughs> so sorry it didn't happen this time, but it yeah. will. Under, I mean, it's, it's understandable. Ever, everything I canceled this year, I mean, there's no yeah. conventions, there's no. Yeah, everyone's go to Burning Man. That was canceled. Uh, Comic Con was canceled. So it's a big deal. You know, a lot of the a lot of the big gatherings had to had to take a break this year. We're gonna fill in some gaps in your career because 
Like, it's it's interesting. You're famous, but you're not, like, stalker on the internet famous, where mm-hmm. everybody has a story to fill in all the holes online, It's which is really great, because it makes the interviews a little more interesting, because I don't have all the answers. We're going to start way back. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Well, you know, that nobody's asked me that, and that's a good question, Paul. Believe it or not, when I was in junior high school, you know, I broke into theater or like when I was 11. So I had, that's where I got a lot of my stage experience. And I was working at, uh, fortunately for me, at very professional theaters with really terrific people. And I think those kind of people informed me. I, you know, I was some exposed to good writing and great performances, great music, all that. But what I was going to be when I was in junior high, you know how they have those career, you have to write your career. I decided I was going to be a I wanted to be an attorney. And I've always had a love of the law, you know. And then when I went, when I got into high school, um, I, I did fairly well in math, but you know, I just had high school level math, and I had no physics or any really science, but um, I did like that. And I, you know, we didn't have a lot of money, and I wanted to get an education. And for some reason, the, the military academy. My dad had talked to me. My dad was in World War II, like everybody else's dad. At least dads of my age, my you know guys my age but he didn't have a career in the military but he had spoken to me about that so and West Point had this kind of allure to it because it was Patton and Eisenhower and MacArthur all these famous guys from my world and it was also free education so um, I didn't quite associate it with the military as much because I had no exposure to the military and plus you had to get an appointment to it you couldn't just go you had to you know have a senator or congressman or president or so you know uh, send you. So you had to go into competition for it. So when I went, I, 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 I did, my grades were good enough, I guess, in my, my extracurricular activities and leadership, all the things they look at were good enough to get me an appointment. But when I got there, it was not like I expected, it was very regimented. And they had this whole sort of first class, you know, they called the fourth class system whole hazing for a year. And that I almost quit at that point, but somehow I made it through and so that became West Point at, in those days was all male. There were no females at the academy. In fact, that happened the year after I left. So I missed it by one year. Missed it by that much. Missed it by that much. I know. I was bummed about that because during my four years of college, you know, we're all completely celibate because we're all, you know, just a guy's college. And plus, you know, you can't get out. It's this, you know, you go to class six days a week, all day, you know. We only went half a day on Saturday. You had um, physics and chemistry or physics and math in the morning. And it, we had Sunday off. And, eight, and on Sunday, they had mandatory chapel. So even your day off, you had to go to church. And and uh, But the, the Supreme Court made a ruling on that. Somebody challenged. They said, you can't make people. That's against the Constitution. You can't make people go to church. So uh, we, everybody started sleeping in. They moved all the church troops. Uh, but... Um, so that became my education. Everybody at West Point during the time I was there graduated with an engineering degree. And so that's right. My, it was all in math and physics and chemistry. But I think, you know, everything in life when you end up to be a writer kind of helps because, you know, a lot of the songs I wrote for Animaniacs were things about geography, about science, you know, that cosmology and all that kind of, so I think I had that background to draw from, but I had never planned to make the military my career. I just wanted to do my service. And I did, I did that in Europe. I spent pretty much all my time, uh, mostly in Italy, a little bit in Germany too. 
And then when I came back, I was, I mean, I did my master's degree work over there. I got my graduate degree um, through Boston University. And then, and that was an international relationship. And then I, I came back and I was going to go, I wasn't going to stay in the military. So I just began interviewing with corporations because I needed to make a living. And, and I got picked up by Procter & Gamble. And I was working as one of their sales managers. And I always, and then I get recruited to another company called Digital System, you know, which was high-end computers and all that. But I, I did fairly well in corporate life, but it wasn't really my passion, Paul. It wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And I really wanted to work in film and television in Hollywood. So I, I took that leap and drove down to Hollywood and, you know, slept on a friend's couch and began writing scripts and interviewing. And I, I thought, I, you know, I was going to be an actor because I've always, you know, been a pretty good, I've, I've done a lot of theater. And uh, when I got down here, I was also a pretty good writer. I thought, so I began writing too and putting spec scripts. And that's the thing that hit. It was funny because... When I would go out for auditions, I didn't even have representation. I would usually get pretty high, like to the producer level. And then they'd say, well, you know, what shows have you done? And I had, didn't have much. So I was always getting edged out. I suppose I kept at it. But my scripts hit pretty quickly. And that's when I, I wound up at Warner Brothers. And I ended up writing on Batman, and which was sort of a darker show. And then from there, down the hall, I saw the guys... Uh, working on for Spielberg uh, on Tiny Toons, they're doing this new show called Animaniacs, and I said, "Well, you know, that's the show. I should work on that show too." And they said, "No, no, you write Batman. That's dark and dramatic." And I'm thinking, "No, comedy is me." And that's so I went. I wrote that song with all the countries of the world, to you know, as an idea. And Tom Ruger, the producer. Oh, you mean that little song that nobody's heard? <laughs> Well, I'm surprised. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's lovely for me that it's become kind of a mainstay for the show. And, and I, I, Tom Ruger liked it. He produced his show that Steven Spielberg liked it and had me do more. And so gradually I moved off Batman onto Animaniacs full time. And um, I got this lovely little note. I, I kept it. I had it somewhere from Steven Spielberg. They rolled a piano in my office. And he said, you know, I wasn't sure how I knew the show, but I definitely want to have this music element. So you're going to be my little Gershwin and do the Tin Pan Alley thing, you know. So he gave me a piano and I would sit in my office all day. I mean, I wrote a lot of scripts too, but I would be writing the song. Whenever I wrote a song, I also would write the script to it. So the music is, is what hit for me. Um, and I, you know, I'd always played, I was a terrible student, at, you know. As a kid, my, my, my piano teacher told my mom, you're wasting all your money, you know. But gradually over time, she was probably right. I wasn't practicing or anything. But then gradually over time, especially as I got theater and I was surrounded by people who were talented, I began picking it up more and more. And I was, I think I was a pretty good songwriter, but I wasn't a great musician at first. And working with the Warner Brothers Orchestra really changed that for me. I became a much better musician because those guys are such pros, you know. And that's the thing that's it. Now I'm working on a basically a Broadway show. And uh, and I'm back writing songs for Warner Brothers, writing for Disney, writing for the people. So you're right. It it's just kind of fell out. That's uh, that's what I. I remember Peter Hastings when Peter, you know, basically was the guy who wrote most of the Pinky and the Brains. He runs Kung Fu Panda now, and he's really monster talent. I remember him saying to me one time, you know, I said, yeah. Everybody thinks of me as music, you know, but I like to write. He goes, no, you're a good writer. He said, but you know what? Music is your ticket to write songs. I think. Yeah, I guess he was right. Yeah. And, I mean, the songs, they have that very, it's catchy, and it you know, that hook gets you really fast. I mean, 
Animaniacs came out what? Twenty five years ago. Twenty five yeah. years ago. So I mean, I was watching it when I was a kid, and I still remember every single one of those damn songs. You know, so a real compliment to me. And I was, you know, I was just trying to crack you up and make you laugh and all that. But who knew that they would, you know, they would have a life of their own after that? And now the show's back in production. Yeah, and, and you know, you it's interesting because yeah, while they were funny. You're also teaching, you know, obviously like countries of the world. You're these are the countries, and if you're watching it, this is where they're where they're at. Or this is the universe, or these are the states and their capitals. Let's say right? Wacko is America, or the presidents. Yeah, I can actually remember going through the president's song to help me on a test. Oh really? You know, because it had you know it had that tune. It's like okay, it's a really easy. Uh, thing to help remember to get through president you know washington through you know washington through bush so i was like all right that's this is great i mean that that really is a testament to your writing and musical ability to have not just the lyrics but the tunes that as soon as they start people know exactly what they are and are ready to key in and can just I mean, they dial right in on what that song is. Well, thank you, and that that I'm I'm just uh, I'm, I'm honored to have been a part of it, you know, of that show, and to have been able to make that contribution. So, what were your uh, musical influences growing up? Well, probably most you can see it from my music, probably mostly theater music, but that's where some of the great writers came. Yeah, you know from the Jerome Kearns and the Richard Rogers and the Cole Porters and, you know, the Steen Sondheims and all that. There's kind of a, a direct line of people that you can see that have a genius for melody probably starts of modern music. I'm saying not, not Mozart or Beethoven, but in sort of the modern pop world starts probably with George M. Cohan. And you see this direct line of people who really had a genius for melody. And those people, are, you know, Irving Berlin too. You know, who else I think falls in that category is Paul McCartney. Yeah. Uh, they just have a genius. They, they can write a melody that really hooks you, and, and not just once, but over and over and over. And um, those kind of people I was listening to, so I think they obviously informed me. But the kind of songs I write, too, um, at least for most of the time for Animaniacs, um, a lot of Disney shows I did, too, is there, there was a, you know, a point I was trying to make. There were, like, this, this is about something. So the lyrics kind of drove it. But then there's a couple of others where, like, if, like I'm mad. I'm just going to have an argument. I could let... You know, let it go anywhere it wanted to. So just depending on what it was. But I, I think those, were, you know, my influences are, are the people who were kind of writing those big, those major standards. Not as much rock or country western or folk. It was mostly the people from, I think, from the, the, the classical standards and, and, and musical theater world probably had the biggest influence in me. But that, that would be up to you to decide, you know, for the audience to decide. Yeah. Me, yeah. Are you familiar with uh, Tom Lear? I remember Tom Lear when I was a kid. I loved his stuff. And I actually do have a Tom Lear story. I don't know if I've told you. I, I think I've said it during one of my shows or so. But um, while I was at Warner Brothers, uh, Jean McCurdy was the president of Warner Brothers Animation. She was like mom, you know, ran the whole place. And she would get letters from people and she would hand them back down the road. So she came and they said, hey, we got this letter. So it's obviously for you. And someone said they'd been watching Animaniacs and they loved that when they did all the country, they said, um, and some of these are like states and capitals and that, she says, why don't you do them with all the elements of the period? 
And so I wrote back, I said, well, because Tom Lehrer already did it and he did it perfectly and there's, I can't possibly improve on it, right? No. So um, later I read there was a book that had, and it was interviews with great lyricists and some, you know, like, like eight or 10 lyricists. And, and one of them was Tom Lehrer. And so I'm reading this interview this guy had with Tom Lehrer and he asked Tom Lehrer, you know, you did a lot of these list songs. He said, I was only curious, why didn't you ever do them with all the countries of the world? And Tom Lehrer said, well, I tried and I just couldn't figure out how to make it work. And I went, oh, good. I got, I got one over Tom Lehrer. That's, <laughs> that guy, that guy, it was a freaking genius. I mean, just a genius, his stuff. So I, I definitely tip my hat to him. Well, see, and the, the reason I asked is because I think it's when, I think it's during L.A. Dot, there's a few of the chord progressions that are similar to a few. Which song? Oh, man, I'm going to have to go back and listen. But I, I had it nailed when I was watching the Animaniacs in concert. But I know it's like I'm listening to L.A. Dot. I was like, whoa. You mean because I do two forms of the original song and then the one that got done. And I think the one you're thinking is L.A. Dot, L.A. Dot. Yeah. That's that the bus has got written up where everyone can see me l-a-d-o-t spells and the bridges if my friend you chant to spot a great big bus with l-a dot so i'm not sure which one of tom Lehrer's songs was that you'd have to tell me i say yeah, I'll, I'll look it up and i'll uh send it back because i wrote it down i can't find that piece of paper but yeah it was just there's only 88 notes they've all been played oh yeah it, it was just really funny that i was like man do like the greatest lyricist that i've come across from my childhood like and the chords are just right there you know it's crazy <laughs> it does happen you have to be careful and you know warner brothers we had a whole division of business affairs that would go everything i you know i wrote and anybody else right go through them where they look to see if it can be compared to the because they get sued all the time oh yeah well it, it it certainly can happen you you know you try to do the most original you can and if if someone comes back and says, oh, wait a minute, that sounds too similar, then you you definitely steer away from that. Well, I think, and I mean, there's the one song, you know, the guys are like, we're not famous because we haven't written a four-chord song, and it's, you know, basically popular songs are just the same four chords, and it goes through this laundry list of these uh, songs, and just, you know, it's like Don't Stop Believing" by Journey, and uh, all these other ones that Good point. all have the same four chords and it's just different variations of how you play them. That's why for these kind of songs, I usually let the lyrics drive it. In fact, I just finished one for Animaniacs. Um, Wellesley Wiles running the show. So I just sent that to them yesterday to get his approval on where it's going. But it, the, the Warners are lost and they're going crazy at being lost. And um, you, you know, I would let the lyrics drive that, but you, you always let, you know, you, you get the idea of the song going and it suggests to you the melody that it wants to be. And I always go down that track. And a lot of times it'll mutate. It'll, it'll change as I'm doing it. But um, that, that's where it comes for, for me. I never sort of listen to somebody else's tune and try because then you'll be stuck with their tune in your head. Yeah. So here you are, you've taken your degrees and you're at Batman. Were you, a Batman fan growing up, like, were you a comic book guy growing up or? Yeah, I, when I was a little kid, I read, um, like all the other, my old friends, I read Superman and I read Batman. Um, those are the two I remember the most. 
might have been a couple of those. I didn't I, like. I don't remember the Green Lantern as well. I think I read a couple of those, but I I knew who they were and I liked those comic books. But I really kind of stumbled into it because I when I came down to L.A. I was writing spec scripts for show for television shows that were all like Roseanne was on at the time, Coach was on the time, Fresh Prince of Bel Air was on the time. Those I was writing scripts for those shows, uh, you know, spec scripts to break in. And a friend of mine, Kelly Ward. Um, I don't know. Kelly was a movie star for. I mean, Kelly did. Uh, he was one of the leads in Greece with Tom Travolta, John Travolta. And he was one of the leads in the big red one with um, Lee Marvin and, and Mark Hamill. And then he had a real career in animation. He became a writer, a producer. So I, I knew Kelly growing up in San Diego. We were, you know, fellow actors. We worked in shows together. And so when I came back from serving in the military overseas and corporate life, I came down. I ran into his dad at an audition. His dad was a great director who had directed me in the show. And so we were talking. He goes, yeah, Kelly's here. And so he put us back in touch. And as I was talking to Kelly, Kelly was over at Universal. And he was, um, I think, second in command over there at developing their new animation division. So, And he'd been in Hanna-Barbera. He showed me. And so I, I began talking to him. I said, you know, I think I'd be a pretty good writer, you know. And he said... Well, there's, he said, I heard about this new show that's being done over at Warner Brothers. It's, it's Batman, and they're going to do it as an animated show. And I thought, oh, man, I don't know anything about animation. I, I don't know how to write that. And he goes, no, no, I think they're trying to write it really dark. They're trying to make them like little mini movies. I went, really? Yeah. So then he called over to the producer over there and says, I got, I got a guy, you know, this is from being a writer on that and, and they wouldn't even burn a stamp to mail me the Bible. I had to drive over there, get you know, Bible the Bible. I had to drive over there, get it and read it up and study it. And then I began writing a couple of spec scripts for it. And the, the, uh, the guy who ran that show, Alan Burnett, they got to him and he really liked him. So he brought me on. But um, yeah, I, I wrote Batman like I would just be writing a regular screenplay or a regular serious television episode. It didn't feel like animation at all. Uh, no, it didn't. Uh, I mean, yeah. Animaniacs obviously is, you know, we're going to drop dynamite down your pants and put an anvil down, you know, drop an anvil in your head or something. Oh, you yeah. Know, Warner Brothers crazy stuff. And that, that I could go as loony and you know, zany as I wanted to do. Yeah, I mean, it, like polar opposites. Yeah, Batman exactly. was very much the, you were like writing to an older audience, whereas Animaniacs, it, it was very broad spectrum, writing to everyone. But we're going to go classic Looney Tunes style and make it, I mean, just classic cartoon tropes. Exactly. What was surprising to us is when Batman really played older, because, you know, they're trying to hit a demographic, but it, we were, I remember Howard Stern going, we were talking about, yeah, he used to watch Batman all the time, but we were getting teens, you know, guys in their late teens and females in their late teens too watch the show. I thought, wow, show really skewed higher. And Whenever I wrote the songs for Animaniacs, I always tried to write them up, which is why I think they appeal to an older crowd too, not just little kids. I had one exec say to me, he said, you know, these songs are kind of like too hip for the room. You should be writing songs like Barney, you know, writing down. And I, I, I said, no, no. I said, you know, kids are, kids are a lot smarter than you think. And we, we should, you know, we should write up to them. And fortunately, I guess we had Spielberg on our, you know, running our show. And so we, we I, you know, he wasn't able to keep me from doing that. And uh, I wrote the song just to be, you know, entertain somebody our age, you know. 
And uh, and if, if something went over the kids' heads, it did. But for them, it's like what Rocky and Bullwinkle was to me. Um, Rocky and Bullwinkle had some really hip jokes in it that I didn't get as a kid. But my dad would laugh at it, and as I got older, but there was plenty of stuff in there for me too. Oh yeah, so that was the you know the fortunately we had the, the team of people that allowed that to happen. At Warner Brothers, you could you could get away with that. At Disney, it was a and I've worked for Disney a lot, and I love Disney, but it, they were a little bit more controlling. Well, as you know. In the vein of writing up and things going over kids' head, you know, it's the uh, you know two words: fingerprints. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I you know things like um, one of the lyrics from I've always like Dot singing, "I'm I'm cute," and she would say, "I'm I'm the one they adore. I'm sweet and I'm cuddly and small, just like Dudley, but more. It's a short. I knew the kids were going to get that, and they would as they got older. You know, so so." Your ticket in, as you know, Rob Paulson has touted for years now, was uh, Countries of the World. That's the first song I wrote, and that's what sort of got like my addition. When they saw that, they went, okay, we like that, write another one. And so then, you know, I had to come to the goods a second time. That one was the universe song. And then they said, well, do what we want for Wacko. Do it. And I did the States and the Capitals, you know. And then I said, guys, you know, we can do more than just a list song, you know. So that, that's why I did I'm Mad. And I did, um, I'm trying to remember the other ones. Uh, I mean, I did the, 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 there was one where they're reading the ingredients on the back of an ice cream. Can't, you know, all the, so I, I did, that was a little song. Um, and then, oh, for, for various episodes, I remember we had uh, Bernadette Peters. I had this old West episode. And I wrote several songs for her, which were just right out of the episode. They weren't trying to teach any. Um, Hello Nurse was just a big fun romp, you know, it could be silly. L.A. Dot was just to be silly. And I did, you know, in the show, I showed you the two, the original one I wrote and then what, what, you know, what it had to become. Well, yeah, and it's fun. You know, there's a lot of songs I wrote that we just didn't get around to doing or we supersede with others. So we, we should probably someday have a show where we say, here, here's the songs that didn't make it on Animaniacs. <laughs> I said, that'd be fun. I mean, you look at all the ones that actually did make it on, and the ones that did, people are playing with and kind of making their own. I mean, you, you've seen the one, you know, that's countries of the world were allowed to visit. I saw that. And did you see some guy did one where he took, you know, he went through all the movies and he would find a place in that movie where that word was set, like, you know, Caribbean. Or said, and he strung them all together. So you're jumping from one movie with the Humphrey Bogart, you know, and and, and it, it it's the whole song. He gets them all. You have to see it. It's that guy deserves an Emmy. Yeah, the uh, the editing he must have done to make that happen. But that was pretty fun. Yes, I, someone did send me that. They say, here's all the countries we can visit right now. You know, there's like all, <laughs> I say all four to six of them. Yeah, and then so my daughter's taking up strings, and you know. I, pulled the violin out and I was fiddling around with it and it always gets me in the mood to listen to like Irish jigs and things like that and so I'm listening to that on Pandora and I hear a again a familiar song and I look up it's Wacko's America a cover done by Seamus Kennedy oh I was like there's a cover of an Animaniacs song it's like wow that's that's lovely i just love to hear that you know i mean that, that that's just you don't really see that in songs that were pretty much just written for tv i mean yeah. 
again, that's just another mark of greatness for what the song is. How old's your daughter? Uh, she just turned 10. Good for her for learning a musical instrument. That's so yeah, she, want, she wants to start playing violin. It's like, I'm down. <laughs> See, I played violin for four years. You did? Yep. Oh, good. So you can actually coach her on it. Which is great considering they're doing virtual school. So I can help with the stuff that, you know, the teacher like, okay, let's do positioning. And it's kind of hard to teach that through a screen. She's lucky that she's got you, but yeah, she learns the need to read music too. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. We started working on that uh, a couple days ago and good for you. I'll be happier when uh, her violin shows up because mine's too big. (laughs) Yeah. She's her arms, not quite long enough yet. Oh, she has to have actual smaller violin. Huh? Yeah, she's about three quarter size. Oh, very. I didn't realize that. You know, a piano is a piano. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah violin, there's four sizes of violin, from like little itty bitty to about thirty inches. Yeah, very. Cool. But yeah, she she's my little Animaniacs fan. There's some new ones coming out here pretty soon. Two seasons, and I believe they're talking about this. I mean, right now I'm writing. Because they're anticipating a third season, uh, you know, because the show's with Hulu, um, so they're, they're wondering where it's going to go to next. Um, but it, she'll it, she'll love the show. It's, it, those new episodes are coming out, and I've heard they're terrific. Well, I mean, yeah, she she would sit with me like early in the morning when it first came to Hulu, mm-hmm. and uh, she's like, "What's this?" I was like, "Santa Maniacs." I'd watched it when I was about your age, so she sits down, she's watching it. And she was glued to the TV. I was like, holy crap, you know, the staying power of the show. And, you know, she's singing along. And now I think she knows half the songs. Well, that's so nice. Yeah, there's some great people that work on that show that have all gone on to do other things. Oh, yeah. Lovely team. But, you know, Tom Ruger, you know, was the not only the producer, but, you know, ran the writer's room too, created the show. But people like Paul Rugg. People like, um, like I said, Peter Hastings and Sherry Stoner, uh, John McCann, and uh, Dan Oliver. I mean, some really, really wonderfully talented. So how did uh, Animaniacs Live come about? Well, that's an interesting question, too, because um, Rob Paulson and Maurice LaMarche and Tress McNeil, you know, these are people who are the top tier of voice actors. Yeah. You know, Nancy Cartwright was in was in Animaniacs and Nancy's part Simpson, you know, she's, I mean, the huge, in fact, I think she just got nominated for an Emmy and she really deserves it. They make personal appearances all the time. And Rob, my gosh, she makes hundreds every year of personal appearances. So one time, I mean, Rob and I are not just caught, we're friends too, you know? And so we ran to each other just on a social basis. And he said, Hey, Randy, you know, everybody's always asking me to sing those songs of yours, you know? And I, I go, Oh, well, that's nice. You know, don't thank you, Rob. But uh, he has a podcast where, not too unsimilar to what you do, and he, you know, interviews all the top people in Hollywood who are mostly in animation too. So he's really kind of got this catalog now of all the real movers and shakers, the people who are, the, you know, the big people, you know, Billy West, um, Jim Cummings, Jeff Bennett, you know, Dan Castellano, all the, you know, the people who are doing all the big voices, all the shows. And so because he has, I don't know, 100,000 listeners, um, they wanted him to do a live one 
up. It's called Talking Tunes. And they wanted to do him to do a live one up at Universal, which is just right over here, you know, a couple of minutes away from me at Universal Studios. And so he had Maurice LaMarche come up there and they did it as Pinky and the Brain. Well, they sold it out. And all. So they asked him to do another one. And so he thought, well, so he says, hey, man, you live really close here. Why don't you come up? We'll just sit at the piano and we'll do some of the songs that everybody always likes me to sing. I thought, okay. So we just went up there and we winged it. And boy, we had a huge crowd. So they, we did it again. We did it a third time. Then we did it for a couple of other venues just locally. And so our agent said, you know, I think this is a show. I thought, really? I thought, well, we have to get permission. So I went to Warner Brothers and that, you know, talk about moving a glacier, but we did it. And then of course we had to get Steven's permission too and all that. So, but fortunately we had some cachet with the studio because we were the originals. We created it. You know, they knew we weren't going to do that. They didn't want anybody to just, you know, come along and they could do harm to the property. It was an important part. And they knew we wouldn't. Yeah. And, you know, and we were regular working people in the industry. So they, they said, well, all right, go ahead and try it. And we did it. And it since took off and got a big agent. We, we've done it all over the country now. And now, I mean, we've been to New York four times, we've been to Chicago twice, we've been to Atlanta, we've been to Denver, we've been to Hawaii twice, San Francisco, Los Angeles, you know, Oklahoma, we were down in Florida. And we do these with symphony orchestras too, as well. Omaha, none. Well, that, that would be <laughs> all these that got canceled this, this summer. But uh, we've now been signed with ICM, which is a really big agency, uh, top agency. So um, once once COVID steps aside, I'm sure we'll make it to Nebraska and other places too. And we're going to be working in as well. I've, I've written new material for Maurice as the brain. I wrote him a song called Take Over the World, you know. That comedy between them, between Pinky and the Brain, and love to bring in Tress. Um, yes. He's terrific. And then, of course, Jess Harnell, who's just a natural on stage. He's just like, he just comes on stage and lights it up. So, um, we, you know, the, the show has quite, I think, a, a wonderful future. Because depending on the venue and how big it is and all that, I can bring all of these people. Or Rob and I have just done it with us, which is kind of a fun, it's a very intimate show, too. So it's, it can take a lot of different forms, um, but it I mean, you saw it yourself that the, you know, the end product is it's supposed to entertain you or, um, you know, sometimes we'll go two hours, depending on what the venue wants. Let's say we want an hour and a half show, two hour show, one hour show. We can do either way. We do, when we do the, um, with, with the big orchestras, with the big symphony orchestras, we always do a, at least a two hour show. Down. Even with just the, uh, bare bones production that you guys put on with, uh, looped it, uh, the, the two man show had very much that, uh, Martin and Lewis vibe yeah. to it, yeah. which was really nice. I mean, it had, it, it, it takes you back to a time in like music and comedy that you don't really have anymore where you, you have the straight man and the comedian. And the idea is just to keep you laughing, keep you hysterical, you know, doing with the dialogue, with the interactions, then the songs, just like the left one, two punch. And then it's a very quick two hours. Uh, you know what? I got to tell you, you know, Rob's just an expert at improv. Well, you know, these guys, when they get, you know, we write scripts and then we go into studios to record their voices. They're behind the glass, you know, and some of these guys just take off on their own. They're like Robin Williams. Would do. They're just hysterical. And so sometimes like if I've had Rob and Maurice and Jess and Tress on stage, they take off an improv and the audience is laughing so hard. And of course, 
they begin to interact with the audience because that's their their strength is in that. And just I finally have to go. Okay, now we have to get back to the show. We have to drag them back into the show, and the audience is going, no, no, no. So we, you know, we could easily go for hours and hours, you know. So I have to. Oh yeah. Keep them tight and all that, but um, it's really a talent. I mean, you're you're talking about the top tier talent. These guys, these guys all work on all the movies. They work on all the big television shows. All the I mean, they're they're the top tier of what they do. And I got to tell you, as funny as they are and silly, they're dead serious about what they do. I mean, they're such pros. They just they can turn it on and deliver. And if you say, oh no no no, that's not what you know. They listen. What you, you, what is it you're looking for? Boom, and then they just nail it. It's it never ceases to amaze me. The, the depth of talent. Yeah, some, some of them are just like scary talented and how, how good they are. They're also some of the most humble and nicest guys you'll ever meet in your life. It's amazing. I had, you know, I had um, dinner, oh, probably been 10 or 11 months now, but with Billy West. And, you know, there are very few people as talented as Billy West. You know, Billy West does all the yeah. voices. In Futurama, you know, he's Fry, he's Zoidberg, he's Zap Brannigan, he's, you know, he's just, he's, he's Kiff. And, and Maurice is, is, um, no, Maurice is Kiff and he's Zap Brannigan, if you know the show. Yeah. And then, you know, times on, on The Simpsons. And these are guys like, I know he was on the Stern show, and you're right, they're just humble and sweet and kind and they just love people. <laughs> you know, we'll go to some of these Comic Cons, they do more than I do, but when I go, I've sat with them as, you know, we'll sign autographs, take pictures, and they just take all the time with people. You know, it's not like, oh, well, you know, they, they really invest with, with the fans and, and people who, you know, come to see us. They want to spend time with them, and, and they're, it's all about you. That Rob never makes it about himself. It's all he it's about you, which I'm really impressed with. You know, he's just a, he's a, and none of that's a put on. Rob is genuinely, one of the sweetest loving guys. So is Maurice and, uh, and trust Jess too. It really astounds me at, at what decent people, and they, you know, they could, you know, to cop an attitude and I've never seen them do that. They're, they're just as humble and sweet and kind as it can be. And yet so monstrously talented and, you know, they make a ton of money at what they do, you know, cause they're in the top tier and yet they don't live lavish lifestyle. They're, you know, they, they're there for the fans. Uh, I don't know. Jess always has that like rock style, uh, rock star image that he has to maintain. <laughs> Jess shows up. He looks like something out of Bon Jovi. And we went with the symphony one time, and he didn't tell me he was going to do this, but he shipped in like when he went on the plane, he brought like, you know, two cartons of costumes or whatever. So every time he'd come on stage, he'd be in a new outfit. And it became, it became a thing about, okay, oh, hey, Jess, well, he'll be back. It was like, what is Jess going to come on as next? It was so funny. He just, like you say, you know, sequins and, you know, just elaborate costumes. He loves that. And jewelry, you know, mm -hmm. big hair. Boy, he's a real crowd pleaser. And he's such a talent. He's really Oh, good. yeah. Yeah, you, you're back to work on the new show. I am working on the new show. Then I have several other projects I'm working on. But the one most important is a stage musical. We've already done two readings. I'm doing my next revision. So we have another reading coming up here in a month and a half. So I have to be ready for that to before we go to full production. Um, and uh, I, I think that that's going to be a very fun project, at least for me. But in the meantime, um, definitely doing my television stuff. Uh, what musical? 
Well, I can't tell you yet. Oh. But I'll be sure to tell you when we go to the production. Any mm -hmm. other upcoming projects that you can tell us about? Um, I mean, I understand everything's kind of shut down or moving slow. Yeah, usually until till his contracts are in place and all that, yeah. you're not appropriate to be talking about it. But there are different television shows and, um, or other projects like that that would that would go to TV or online or something like that. So, where can uh, fans find uh, find out more about you or follow? to keep up with you and Animaniacs Live and such? Yes, Animaniacs in Concert, we have a website. It's called, you can go to AnimaniacsLive.com. We probably just put Animaniacs.com, and that tells you everywhere we're going to be. Obviously, we, it, it's at a hold right now, but you can find out what's going on with us. And then I know you can reach Rob's Yakko Pinky, and I, I'm on Twitter, but I need my social, our social media director is bringing me up. I'm on Facebook, so if you send me a request, I have, I mean, I have one Facebook page for like just family and friends, and then one for all my, the Animaniacs world. So if you send me a friend request, I'll say, hey, just go like this page, and then we'll be friends, and that will lock you into me. With Rob, he's got Facebook pages, and he's on Twitter, he's on Instagram. I will be on all of that very short. I mean, I'm, I'm on Instagram, but I'm not using it enough. But with this last thing we did for Loop, we have a social marketing director just now. Randy will bring you up to speed. So I promise I will be doing that, especially when the show gets ramped up. But AnimaniacsLive.com, or then you say AnimaniacsInContra.com, Warner Brothers Control Set, um, will we'll tell you where we've been, what we're doing, where we're going to be next. All the stuff that has to do with our concert is on that website. And... Uh, and it's a fun looking website too. It is folks. I've been there and <laughs> the, you'll be able to get there with the, in the episode description and you uh, now know where to find Mr. Uh, Randy Rogel and his partner in crime, Rob Paulson. We love you. You could find me at Moose Media Inc. on Twitter. Uh, Randy, it's been a blast uh, chatting with you and filling in the gaps in your career today. Well, thank you, Paul. It's been a joy uh, meeting with you and your wonderful fans out there who I hope to see at some of our concerts when we get up and going again, which hopefully won't be too long for all of us because I know all of us are tired of being you know, locked up indoors and wearing masks. Yes. But uh, thank you for having me, and it's been a joy to get this chance to talk with you. Oh, most definitely. I, I, I really looked forward to this one. And <laughs> uh, Listeners, I've been trying to get in contact with Mr. Rogel and what ended up happening was I couldn't figure out how to do it. So I paid for a meet and greet to do it. So where there's a will, there's a way. Well, good for you. And look at the, look at the distance you went to, to for your fans. You are a stand up guy. Paul goes to the wall for his, his fans, his listeners. Good for you. All right, Mooseback. A lot of good podcasts out there. Unless you heard it here. Probably just a load of bull spit. So <laughs> until next time, take it easy. Bye bye. Randy Rogel with Paul on bull spit. Ooh, that sure was some bull spit. But I sure had fun. Junior, you need help. Be sure to tune in next time.